Well, we are starting a new series for the month of February titled, We the Church. We the Church. And I want to preface this series off by saying that we're not talking about the four walls of a building. We're not talking about these four walls right in here. We are talking about the true church, which is the body of Christ. We're talking about you and me. We're talking about the church that was left here on this earth uh, to make a difference and make an impact uh, in this generation and in and through you guys. And so turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verse 42 through 47 out of the ESV version. Verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Uh, and day by day they were attending the temple together. They were breaking bread in their homes, and, and they, they received their food with glad and generous, generous hearts. And they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." If you guys are taking notes, the title of this message is We the Church, The Nature of His Bride. The Nature of His Bride. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for every person in this room. Holy Spirit, would you just come and have your way through this message? Lord, would you speak through me? Would you anoint me to preach your word, God? Lord, may I decrease and you increase right now in this moment. God, open up our ears, open up our eyes and our hearts. In the mighty and precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, to all the parents in this house, having kids is a trip, I'm telling you guys. It is a trip. Uh, the other day we were driving and, uh, you know, the kids are just screaming in the back of the car and they're going nuts and they're fighting and doing all these things. And I just started laughing and I looked over at Lace and I said, man, it's a trip having kids, you guys. It really is. And see, I remember uh, when my wife and I got pregnant with our first and, you know, it was awesome. We went to the, the, the heartbeat test. You know how they go and they find a heartbeat and it's, you know, they, they find one and it's like, oh, it's awesome. It's a, it's a good, it's a strong heartbeat, you know. And so we thought we were having one kid and then we went to the 20-week ultrasound and, uh, you know, my wife gets ready and they start to do the ultrasound thing. And you know how nerve-wracking it is at an ultrasound. You know, you're like, man, is the baby going to be healthy? Is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? Uh, you know, so you're going in there with all these nerves. And I mean, I, I don't think I ate that day. I mean, my stomach was a pit and I was just like, God, is this, I just want a healthy, healthy baby. And so we go in and, and you know, they're, they're doing the thing. And then all of a sudden, uh, she stops doing it and she goes, Oh, I have a surprise. And we're like, what, what's the surprise? And she goes, there's two heads. Uh, and I'm like, and she just stopped there. And it was like, I turned white in my pit, in my stomach. And I go, how many bodies are there? And she's like, Oh, no, no, there's two bodies. And I'm like, geez, lady, work on your delivery. What do we have, a, a two-headed baby monster in this body? Like, oh, my gosh, two heads? What are you talking about? I'm like, man, you got to work on your delivery, lady. But it was twins. And I got to tell you, it was the most frightening day of my entire life and also the most joyful day in my entire, entire life. And I think we actually canceled our anniversary trip after that. We had a trip planned. We're like, oh gosh, we're having twins. We're we got to cancel that. And we're going to use that money to go buy cribs. We're going to use that money to go buy beds. And it was just this cool uh, thing to go, man, we are having twins. But how many of you know that as your children are born, 
right, as they begin to grow up, there's specific character traits about your child, right? There's a nature about your child, right? If somebody was to look at that child, they'd be like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so's child. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I mean, if you've seen my son running around here uh, being a PK in the room, you know, you're like, oh, that's Pastor Rick's kid. I can see it all over. There's specific traits that these children have uh, that you can tell are yours. And I think the same goes for the church. Again, I'm not talking about the, the, the building. I'm talking about the body of believers, right? The same goes for his bodies, right? The believers that he has established here on this earth to advance his kingdom, to advance his agendas, and to take territory right now in the lost and dying, in this lost and dying world. You see, the design and the nature of the church is God's perfect will. It really is. It's, it's his perfect will that as, as his bride, you and I are to carry out this gospel message. We are to carry out the good news, uh, right, to a lost and dying world. We are to give this world an encounter with Jesus. We're to give this world an encounter with him. But a lot of times we rob this world in an encounter with the authentic Jesus because we give them an encounter with the corporate church. We're not giving him an encounter with Jesus, uh, right? And see, our vision here, uh, if you've been here for longer than a few weeks, you know it is Revival Resolved. You know it's the year of Gethsemane. And we're going to continue to speak that vision from the platform because vision leaks. And we want to keep reminding you that the vision of where uh, we are going. And you see, when Jesus was in the garden and he was praying, okay, he was travailing in his prayers. Okay, we talked about this the past several weeks. And when somebody is travailing in their prayers, it means that they are birthing something, that they're bringing something forth in the natural realm and birthing something in the spiritual realm. And so I believe that as Jesus was travailing, he was birthing a lot more than meets the eye. And I believe one of those things he was birthing was the church, which is you and I. And so let's go to Colossians chapter one. We're going to start in verse 15. It says this, it says that he who, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And if anybody argues with you that Jesus was not God in the flesh, this is the verse you take him to. This is the portion of scripture that you say, that here it is, right here, plain and simple. He was the firstborn of all creation, for by him who, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, and all things were created for him. So in other words, the church was created through him, and the church was created for him. Verse 17, and he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I just love how it is just Jesus, you guys. And he is the head of the body, the church. It is Jesus. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him, in everything, he might be preeminent. And so from the moment of Jesus' conception, his mission was tied to reconciliation to reconciling the world back to himself. And in order to do that, he had to establish this thing called the church, which was here on this earth. Look at verse 19. It says, for in him who, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things back to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What does that mean, Pastor Rick? That means that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. But not only that, when he ascended on high, he went into the holy of holies himself. There's a holy of holies that was not made with human hands in heaven itself. And he sprinkled his own blood on that altar, forever appeasing the wrath of God for sin for all humanity and for all time. That's good news. That's called the gospel message, you guys, that Jesus took your place and he took my place. He went to the cross and he appeased the wrath of God against sin for all eternity. Man, you guys, because of that, we can be the church. We can be in the church and we can be counted as his body. That's some good news today, you guys. But not only that, it's available for every single person in this room. All you have to do is believe. That's the prerequisite. Just believe. That's it. Just believe in me and watch what I can do with your life. And so from the moment of his conception, his mission was to reconcile, right? To establish the church. And we see that in Matthew 16, 18. He tells tells Peter this. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And listen to this. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love that scripture. You guys, the enemy cannot prevail against you. You are the ones that prevail against the gates of hell. We're the one that storms the gates of hell. We're the one that kicks doors open in the gates of hell. We're not the ones that sit back and cower and wait for them to come to us. No, we go to them and we take the fight to them. That's what the church does. And so there's been a lot of speculation in this verse about what rock what Jesus was talking about. And the Catholic Church believes that Peter was the rock. And so they've built this entire church on the Apostle Peter. But if you go a few scriptures before this, you'll see that Jesus was asking a question. He asked this question to his disciples. He said, who do men say that I am? And they were, you know, some say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And then he goes, no, 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 no. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter, he piped up and he goes, man, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And then he says that, and then he says, on this rock, I will build my church. I think Jesus was talking about himself, that he is the rock of God. And on the confession of faith that Peter made a few verses back, that is the foundation to build upon in the church, that it is by the confession of faith that you and I are entered into this thing called the body of Christ. And so he established his church. And the word church in this scripture is the Greek word ekklesia. Turn to your neighbor and say ekklesia. Isn't that awesome? It just rolls off your tongue, ekklesia. It means a legislative body. It's an assembly. It's a, it's a casual gathering of people, an assemblage. It's a gathering. It's people with a shared belief. It's a community. It's a congregation. It's the gathered ones. You see, we are the church. You and I are the church, that we are the ecclesia. We are the gathered ones. Listen, we're not the scattered ones. We're not scattered. We are gathered. We are the, the body of Christ, his representatives here on earth, left here to reap represent Jesus to this earth, not represent your local church, represent the body of Christ to this world in order to make an impact and advance his kingdom here on this earth. And so it's no surprise that the church is under attack in this day and age. 
Guess what? It's been under attack ever since Jesus was born. When he was just born, who wanted to kill him? Herod. Herod. Right? And so he had all the boys to and under murdered in the whole city. Can you believe? Can you imagine that? If the president just came out and said all the, the boys under two and over are going to be murdered? That's what happened in Jesus' time. And so the church has been under attack from generation to generation to generation. Why? Because they hate Jesus. The enemy hates Jesus. It's an antichrist spirit that is in this world that hates Jesus. But what's really sad in this day and age that we are seeing, and it all has to do with the end times, is that we are now starting to see faith leaders within the church starting to succumb to the, to the, uh, to the agenda that is on the outside of us. And just recently, the apostasy of the Pope. Okay, can I say that in this room? That was an apostasy thing that he did. He doesn't get to determine God's word. He doesn't get to be the final authority for what is right and what is wrong in God's word. He's a man just like, just like I am. Okay, demon that gay marriage is okay in the Catholic church. That has to do with the end times, you guys. What does it say? Unless the falling away comes first. God's cleaning up his church, you guys. He's cleaning house right now. He's starting to reveal some of these things. These things are just starting to come out. And he's cleaning house. Why? Because he's coming back for a spotless bride. He's coming back for a bride that, was out, that is without spot and without wrinkle. And you and I get to be a part of the remnant church. I believe we are, we are a part of the remnant church here on this earth. And we have churches that are they're bowing down to the idol of pride flags. That's an idol. It's a modern-day idol in our world. What was Satan banished from heaven for? Pride. It was pride. And see, the, these, these, these faith leaders are succumbing to these progressive beliefs. You see pastors that are they're, they're deeming some scriptures as no longer relevant in our day and age, and they dodge the hard topics of society like racism. They dodge the hard topics like abortion and this LGBTQ movement and so on and so forth. How can we give this world an encounter with the risen Savior if we do not look any different from the world? We have to give them an encounter with the true, authentic Jesus, and it has to look different. We are the church. We are the ecclesia. It has to be different. You see, when the world sets their ways against the ways of God, it's the church, it's the ecclesia that we must set ourselves against the evil of the world. We have to. Uh, we have to draw a line in the sand. We have to stand against the evil, even if the evil is supported and established by the majority in the culture. It doesn't matter. We are the church. We are the ecclesia, and we must take a stand and oppose the evil that is in our land. And Jonathan Kahn, in his book, The Josiah Manifesto, said this. It's a great book that you guys should all read. He said, the church must operate less and less as a cultural institution and increasingly as a cultural phenomenon. We need to be a cultural phenomenon. We owe this world an encounter with Jesus. You see, we are the church and we don't succumb to worldly standards. We set the standards of morality in our world. We don't follow the truth of the world. We follow the truth of God's word. We're the ecclesia. We don't bow down to modern day idols disguised as social norms. We bow down to the king above all kings. His name is Jesus Christ. 
That's who we are responsible for. We are the church, and you and I have an answer to the lost and dying world that is around us. We have the answer to all of life's problems, living and dwelling on the inside of us. We have the answer, and we've been called to love unconditionally, and we've been called to lay down our lives selflessly. We're the church. Man, we are the ecclesia. And so I believe uh, that we can learn four different traits or characteristics or natures from the early church that I think a modern day church today, we have to get back to. We have to get back to our roots of what a true church is and what a true church looks like in order to give this world the encounter that it deserves. It's not enough to, to just have a church service. There's got to be some demonstration, you guys. We have to demonstrate. There has to be a demonstration. That's how we look different than all the other uh, churches in the world. And so the first trait is this, that we know about the early church. The first church, we know that they were a devoted people. They were a devoted people. Look at verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The Greek word for devotion is the Greek word proskerterio. Turn to your neighbor and say that. <laughs> ah, I wasn't going to give it to you again. It's so fun to say, but it's so hard to say, right? <laughs> and I'm not even saying it right. You've got to have some sort of dialect in there. But it's proskerterio. Listen to this. It means to continue to do something with intense effort, despite the difficulty. Continue to be devoted with intense effort despite the difficulty, despite how hard it is, despite the attack, despite what it looks like, despite the entourage of people that are bashing you and hating on you because of your morality. It's being devoted and doing it with intense effort. It means being devoted oneself to, to keep on, to persist in, to attend constantly, to stay by, to remain with, and to be loyal to someone. And see, I believe in these last days that we are living in that Jesus is looking for loyalty. He's looking for a church who is loyal to him. He's looking for men and women who let their yes be yes and who let their no's be no's. All right? He's looking for a church that can truly say, you are Lord of my life, but not just say Lord of my life, a church that exemplifies a lifestyle of lordship. Let me ask you this. Is he Lord of your life or have you just confessed him as Lord? In other words, is he master of your life? Do you make all your decisions based on Jesus? Is he the first thing you think about when you wake up and the last thing you think about when you go to bed? We all want to confess him as Lord, but not too many of us will make him Lord of our lives. And in the scriptures, it says in Luke that many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done mighty wonders in your name? And then he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's very important. You see, you and I, we can change the landscape of not only your family, but we can change the landscape of this culture by being devoted to Jesus. We really can. That's how strong your devotion is to him. Will you be devoted to him? Will you be devoted to him in prayer? Will you be devoted to him in fasting? Will you be devoted to him in studying his word? Will you be a devoted church in these last days that we are living in? What would your life look like a year from now if you were fully devoted to him? What would your marriage look like? What would your kids look like if we began to be the ecclesia and we began to be devoted like the early church? 
church, right? We know that they were a devoted church. What does devotion look like? It looks like surrender. We don't like to hear that word. We're Americans, man. We don't surrender, right? We don't surrender. We don't give up. We don't, we're not defeated, you know? But man, it's surrender. What does surrender look like? It looks like Luke 9, 23. He says, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and let him take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a daily decision for you and I to be devoted to him. Every morning we wake up, we need to say, yes, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. God, I want to live for you today. Maybe you've, maybe, you've, maybe you've slipped and stumbled. Guess what? He's there for grace. And he's saying, hey, get back up. Let's do this thing again. You see, surrender isn't easy, but it's worth it. And your blessing just might be on the other side of surrender. And I remember uh, when I did get out of prison and I was looking for a wife. I'm telling you, there's nothing more dangerous than a single man, young man looking for a woman. I'm telling you, a Christian young man looking for a woman. That's dangerous. I'm telling you, man, I was hot to trot when I came out of prison. <laughs> I was looking every, every uh, you, my wife, she might be my wife, you, you know, and it was just, it was crazy. And I was in relationships I wasn't supposed to be in. And I was dating women that were non-believers, and it was just, it was all this stuff. And then all of a sudden God said, why don't you just surrender this thing to me? You're trying to do it on your own in your own strength, in your own power, and here you are. Why don't you just surrender to me? And I said, okay, God, I surrender. Here it is. I don't want it. You take it. And when it happens, it happens. Two weeks later, my wife came up to me at church. And then she started stalking me. That's a true story. <laughs> I've never been stalked before, only once, and it was by her. But I'm so glad she did, because now we're married, and we have an incredible, beautiful marriage. And so it's surrender, you guys. If we would just surrender... Surrender our gifts and promotions to him and, and surrender these things to him. I'm telling you, your breakthrough is just on the other side of surrender. We know that the early church, they were a devoted church. The second trait is that they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 43. He says, and all came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. So not only did Jesus establish his church, right? Not only uh, did he reconcile his church back to himself, but now he says, I'm going to empower you. I'm not going to leave you orphans or strangers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empower you by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put my spirit on the inside of you, and I'm not going to leave you. And we see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power. Turn to your neighbor and say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the age. And then we see in verse 4 of chapter 2 the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. My friends, you and I need the Holy Spirit. We don't only need, need the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, but we need the Holy Spirit upon us. In this day and age that we are living in, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be empowered by him. And he is the one thing that separates us and distinguishes us between all people groups in all of the world and any other religion. It's the marking of the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of your inheritance. He is the seal by which you have been sealed under the day of redemption. He is the Holy Spirit. And living in in this day and age with all the stuff going on on social media and the things that are out in our culture, we need the Holy Spirit to help us navigate these tough times. You say, well, I already have the Holy Spirit, Pastor Rick. That's true. 
When you gave your heart to Christ, it says the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you. But there's another baptism. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The one that the, 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 the first infilling of the Spirit was for you. But when you get baptized in the Spirit and he comes upon you, guess what? That's for somebody else. That's for you to go and be a witness. That's for you to go and, and outwork the giftings and callings of God in your life. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, we've been called to operate in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, the church has been taking far too long time to bring this world a demonstration. We have been. Look at Mark 16 and 17. It says this, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. I love how that's the first one on the list because we always shy away from that, right? That's for the deliverance ministry. That's for Pastor Aaron to do. That's for Pastor Becky to do. No, I can't do that. Guess what? You can deliver a demon. You can cast one out. You can. And don't be afraid that he's going to come out and jump upon you and you're going to be all weirded out and flopping on the floor because you have the power of the almighty God living and dwelling on the inside of you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. There's too much garbage out there in, in, in teaching with this. And when I listen to that garbage and I read the scriptures, none of that stuff makes sense. When I see Jesus do what he does, he delivers demons and they flee. You can speak with new tongues. You can pick up serpents with their hands. And if you drink anything deadly, poison, it will not hurt them. Don't worry, we're not the crazy serpent handling church, okay? And if they drink anything deadly, poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's these signs that will follow those who believe you have the power and the anointing to preach the gospel. You can, you can preach the gospel to your neighbor. You can preach the gospel to your waitress. You can lay your hands on them if they're sick. And guess what the scriptures say? They shall recover. You have that anointing on the inside of you. It's not just reserved for a ministry and for a couple people. The early church was, uh, was empowered by the Holy spirits. And the third trait that they had was the first, the early church that they were united. They were united through strong relationships. So not only were they devoted, not only were they empowered, but they were also united. Look at verse 44. It says this, it says, and all who believe were together, they were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing to the proceeds as anyone had need, has need. You guys, we are living in a day and age where the church is being used to divide the church. You can go on TikTok, you can go on social media, you can find your favorite Christian influencer, and you can find them bashing on something you don't agree with. You can go on that page and you can find them bashing on something else you don't agree with. You can go on that other page and you can find them bashing on the first Christian influencer, right? We're living in this information age where everybody has an opinion and they blast their opinions out online. And it's, it's like as Christians, we're stuck in the middle. We're like, well, who is right? The scriptures say to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you need the spirit to teach you all things, not the TikTok spirits. Not the Instagram real spirit. We're all searching for a word, man. God, I need a word. Go get a word in your secret place. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. Come on, you guys. But what's really sick and sad is that these influencers are using this platform of division for personal gain. And they're not submitted up under authority. And we look to them because they have a platform and they're speaking something that sounds like the truth and it might agree with something I think I agree with 
and we give our time and attention. We have a generation being raised by TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat right now. Rather than feeding on the living word of God, rather than getting into your secret place and opening this up and going, God, uh, what are you saying to me today? What do you say about this subject, Lord? Speak for your servant is listening. You see, if we want to see revival in our land, it's going to come when the church gets unified. It's going to come when we link arms together and we get unified, right? You and I, we each have a role to play in the body of Christ. We need each other to function properly. We do. We need each other. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, Paul says this. He says, for as the body, for as in one body we may have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. We're unified and individually members of one another. I mean, just look at the beautiful harmony of the early church. When you read this portion in Acts and you just read it all the way through, they had this harmony about them, right? They, they, they did life together. It was beautiful. And there's something about the power of unity, that there's strength in numbers, that you and I are stronger when we are binded together through strong and healthy relationships, that when we are together, we can accomplish more, that, that, that we grow more together. We can learn more together. We can battle together better. We can sharpen each other. Our prayers are stronger when we're united. Our faith is bolder when we go out two by two, right? Our power is explosive. The scriptures say if one can put 10,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. There is power in numbers. If you agree on this earth, what does it say? It shall be done by my Father in heaven. Unity in the spirit. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another one to lift him up. This unity, you guys, through strong relationships. And I know some of you have been hurt by the church. And I know some of you have been offended by other churches. But I'm, I'm here to say that that wasn't the church that did that to you. That was an imperfect person. And we all have our faults in this room. And, and you know what? We can, we can be friends and disagree. I think that's what's going on in this world. Like we, we, we think that we cannot be a friend with somebody if they disagree with what we believe in. But we can. We can still be friends and disagree. We don't have to be a divided church. We can be united. I mean, just think about a power, the power of a snowflake, right? When it snows, you get a couple of snowflakes. They don't do no damage. But if it snows like it snows in Colorado, and you get enough snowflakes united, and you get enough snowflakes bound together, all of a sudden that snowflake is stopping an entire city. It, it was keeping a lot of people from church this morning. I know that. You guys, there's power in numbers. There's power when a church begins to be unified. Each member of the church, we depend on each other. The early church, they were unified. They were interconnected. They were a family, and they depended on one another. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, he says that there may be no divisions in the body. No divisions. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I remember when my wife was graduating um, her master's degree uh, in uh, teaching, 
and we were at the graduation. If you've ever been to a graduation for like a doctorate or master's degree at CS or CU, it is horrific, okay? Like you are sitting there for hours and they're reading all this stuff for one person. I'm like, geez, they got, that was 20 minutes for one person. There's about 15 other people before she gets up. We're going to be here for hours. And like, her, I was talking to her mom and, and her mom's like, should we just tell her we're going to come back and leave? And I said, no, man. I looked at her and I said, if one suffer, we all suffer, you guys. We're in this scene together. We're in this scene together. And see a redwood tree. Think about a redwood tree. A redwood tree grows to about 300 feet high. And its diameter, um, it could be 20 feet in diameter or more. But you see, what you don't understand is a redwood tree, its roots only go down 6 to 12 feet in the soil. That's kind of not very, very deep for a tree that is that big. But you know what gives the redwood its strength? It's that their roots intertwine with each other, all under the soil. And they intermix and they interweave and they lock together. They're united under that soil. And the strength of those trees are, are, are so much more stronger because they're united. They're, they stick together. And we can learn a lot about redwood trees that if we can just unite and bind together and build strong and healthy, meaningful relationships in the church, I'm telling you, we can take a city. Connection matters. There's been numerous studies on, on children uh, that, that they leave alone in a room without any, in, any uh, human uh, interaction. And those babies don't do very well. And some of them even, e even like started going crazy, started developing these like depression stuff, uh, you know, inside of them. But the babies that had human interaction, that had parents around them, they flourished. You guys, connection matters. We need to be together. So not only were they devoted, not only were they empowered, not only that they were united through strong relationships, trait number four is that they were a gathered people. Now, if I could have Dave out on the keys, that'd be awesome. They were a gathered people. Look at verse 46. He says, and day by day, attending the temple together, they were breaking bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And they were praising God. And they were having favor with all the people. You guys, the early church was marked by faithful attendance. They were meeting together daily in the temple courts. They prayed together. They gave together. They ate together. They rejoiced together. And they practiced the presence of Jesus together. The ecclesia is a gathered people. It is not a scattered people. There are no hermits in the body of Christ. You guys, together is where it is at. You see, and too often coming to church on a Sunday, it can feel like a religious duty, right? Am I the only one that feels like that? You check it off your list sometimes. And it's like, okay, I'm just, we got that taken care of. And we've taken something that is such a necessity for our growth as believers, and we've counted it as just an ordinary thing. We've made a necessity into an option on a Sunday. Right? I'll go if I feel like it. If the weather's great, I'll go. If I have time, I'll go. If I don't have anything else going on, I don't want to be too religious, so let's just go to church once a month. It'll be okay. Right? And it's usually the first thing that is set aside. Let me just say this, parents in the house, please listen to me. What is an option for one generation will become unnecessary to the next generation. What is an option for one generation will become unnecessary to the next 
generation. And I believe the reason why we don't serve or we don't attend faithfully is because church has been put up into the entertainment category in our life. And it's because it's the corporate church. It's entertainment. I'll come in and I'll sing a few songs and I'll hear an awesome message. I'll drink some coffee, you know, put my kids in next door and, and then we leave and that's it. And that's, that's our experience with church. That's the Western church, you guys. We need to flip this thing around, right? What is an option for one generation will become unnecessary to the next generation. Hebrews 10, 25, the writer says this, or 24, he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Look at verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So even the early church, you guys had people that were not committed to gathering, that were neglecting this sacred moment where the body of Christ gets to come together and worship together like we just did. And we get to hear a message together and we get to rub off on each other and our roots growing down can nourish one another. We're a family, you guys. Can I just encourage you guys this morning? Devote yourself to attending regularly. You're not going to become a religious kook if you come to church every Sunday. I promise. You won't. Not only do you have something to give, but you have something to receive as well. And most of the time we have this consumer mindset where I'm just going to come and consume. I'm going to come and consume. I'm going to come and consume without giving thought to contributing to what's going on in this environment. Your prayers matter. Your attendance matters. You, you leaning over to your neighbor and saying, hey, I'm praying for you right now. I can, I can see that you're heavy. What's going on? That stuff matters. And it can only be done in the body of Christ. Man, I will always be thankful for the church. I will always be thankful for the church. It was the church, you guys, where I found my wife. It was the church that supported me when I came out of prison and they wrapped their arms around me and they accepted me into, their, into, 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 the, into the clan and they loved on me and they were there for me and they encouraged me and they edified me and they told me where I was wrong and they gave me permission to mess up and they gave me permission to grow. They grew, I grew my leadership in the church. I will always be thankful for the church because the church is what made me into who I am today. Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. It's not the organization. You guys, City Point is a vehicle. Yes, this is an incredible vehicle for the church, the body to ride in. And we get to do this thing together and we get to experience stuff together. We have to separate our minds from the Western thinking of what church truly is. This is our daily temple. This is where we come and gather and sing praise to our God. If you don't like gathering in a crowd, you're going to hate going to heaven. I'm telling you. In Revelation, he's like, I see 10,000s and thousands upon thousands and ten, tens of thousands of people. And we're going to be crying, holy, 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 holy is the Lord. You see, this is a place where you and I can find genuine friendships and long-lasting relationships. Will you get offended? You probably will. Somebody's offended right now. I know it. Aaron was offended last service. He's offended the Chiefs won last week, and I know it. 
go. <laughs> the one Niner fan in there, okay. You see, there is nothing that can replace worshiping together on a Sunday. We are the church. We are the ecclesia. We are the gathered ones. This is the Lord's day. Why? Because this is the day God rose from the dead. This is the day that he set forth all of his plans and purposes. This is the day where he proved to humanity who he was and he did what he said he was going to do. This is the Lord's day and there's nothing that can replace that, you guys. It's the nature of his bride that we are the ecclesia, that we are a church that are devoted. We're a church that is united. We're a church that is fully empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and do and accomplish everything he has called you to do. You are the church. And so maybe you need to walk with your chest out a little bit, a little bit higher and walk with a little bit of a strut in your, in your step because you have the power of the Almighty God living and dwelling on the inside of you. There is no devil in hell or no demon on this earth that can take you out because of the power that is on the inside of you because of the power that is, that is inside of you that you can access at any single moment. I want to close with this A.W. Tozer quote. It's from his book, The Pursuit of God. It says this. It says, has it, have it, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each, each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. Were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. You guys, we are the church. We are the ecclesia. We have the answer to a lost and dying world. We have all the answers, so it's time for us to start to operate in that. It's time for us to start to be united. It's time for us to start to be devoted. It's time for you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it's time for us to continue to gather together. Let's all pray. Well, Jesus, I thank you for every person in this room. God, I thank you for this message, and I pray, God, right now, over those people that are dealing with offense. God, I pray that that offense would come to the surface and I pray that it would be finally dealt with once and for all. I feel like the Holy Spirit is just calling you, he's wooing you into dealing with that offense this morning. And so Lord, you know who that is. Come on, just take some time right now. We're gonna take some time. Lord, just deal with that offense right now in Jesus' name. He's saying, lay it at my feet. Just lay it down, no more. No more. Come on, we're going to be a church that's going to live unoffendable. We got to have thick skins and soft hearts. Lord, thank you for that. And Father, I pray, Lord, over every person in this room, God, that even throughout the rest of this week and this month and this year, Lord, that that devotion would be, would be empowered. God, that even in the, in, the, in the marketplace, Lord, that we would step out in faith and invite somebody to church or step out in faith and pray for that person. Give this world an encounter with Jesus and Lord, that we would be united through strong and healthy relationships. And God, that we would fall in love with the church once again. That we would fall in love with the gathering once again. And so Lord, bless every person in this room. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. 
Well, hey, before I close, I do, need to, I do need to ask this question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Could you say without a shadow of a doubt in your heart, yes, I do know him. You see, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, it said you will be saved, that you too can be grafted into this heavenly family that we're talking about, you can be grafted into the body of Christ. I wanna pray for any person in this room that say, you know what, Pastor Rick, no, I cannot say without a shadow of a doubt, will you pray for me? Is there anybody in this room? Just give me a wave right now, all across this room. We got one over here. Thank you, sir, I see that hand. We got two over there, thank you, I see those hands. Come on, is there anybody else? Anybody else? Online, just click the little hand emoji online. All right, well, gentlemen, we're gonna say this prayer together. And again, it's not some magical, majestic prayer that we're praying. It's a prayer between you and Heavenly Father. You've already confessed and said, yes, I need Jesus. Now it's just a confession out of your mouth. And so we're going to pray this prayer. And then afterward, we have some leaders that are going to come around you and just, just talk to you about this decision that you're making. So can we all join uh, with these two gentlemen back here and pray and say, Dear Lord Jesus, we know we are sinners. And we know we need a Savior. Would you come into me? Make your home in our hearts. I confess my sins to you. I believe you rose from the dead. I make you Lord of my life. I give you my life. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, and everybody said amen and amen. Come on.